0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm charker Chakraborty, and I'm Sarah Dowdy. And there was a very important historical anniversary earlier this year that we just couldn't let go by without commemorating, especially since it's one our listeners are still really intrigued by. And that's the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the now legendary passenger liner, the RMS Titanic, on April 14th, 1912, after it collided with an iceberg during its maiden voyage from the UK to New York City. And it was one of the biggest non-wartime maritime disasters ever. More than 1,500 people died. And so it really continues to haunt people and fascinate researchers who are still examining artifacts and unraveling the stories of the people who traveled on this ill-fated ship. And so, of course, there was a lot of coverage because of all that fascination, even some
0: news, which we're going to be discussing in a bit, and events to commemorate this anniversary, too, including a memorial cruise aboard the M.S. Balmoral cruise ship, which retraced the Titanic's exact route and gathered on the deck at 1140 p.m. on April 14th, which was the time the Titanic hit the iceberg 100 years ago and held a memorial service. And according to the Daily Mail, about 50 of the 1,300 people who were aboard this memorial cruise had a direct family connection to the Titanic, including relatives of the ship's doctor and relatives of
1: of some of the passengers. There was also the presentation of five bronze plaques, which includes all the names of the dead from all the classes aboard the ship, first, second, and third class. And it's said to be the first time that all of these people are included together in Which, one memorial.
0: That point was really striking to me, that it it took a 100 years for that to happen. It's kind of amazing.
1: That is surprising, especially since there have been several memorials and remembrances. This is our own sort of memorial that we have here today to the Titanic sinking. It's another look at a classic episode of Stuff You Missed in History. Class from 2008 on the Titanic by Candace and Jane. So we're going to check that out first and then talk a little bit more about it afterwards.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there. Jane, I don't think that there's anything as big and Posh and attention catching in the annals of naval history as the Titanic. That is true. I don't think many people would deny that. Or I guess I should say marine history rather than naval history. It, so it was a seagoing vessel. Sure. And it was almost like a hotel on the water. And the idea behind it was precisely that uh, J. Bruce Ismay and Lord Peary of Harlan and Wolf Shipbuilders, they were at dinner one night, and they were talking about the Cunard Line's newest liners, the Mauritania and Lusitania, and they said to themselves, we can make one or three even with their plan. They were going to have a triumvirate of ships that were even bigger and better, the Olympic, the Gigantic. And the Titanic.
3: That's right. And they wanted to make these not only fast, like the Cunard line, but but luxurious and, and attractive for, for the you know the aristocratic uh, passengers to spend, you know, a pretty penny to go on. Exactly. The idea
2: being that the more comfortable and luxurious the ship, the longer distance people would be willing to travel. And so they weren't just selling, you know, a a couple dollars worth of tickets to people, we're talking about a first-class ticket that in today's dollars is equivalent to about $43,000 to about $80,000, which is a ton of money. I mean, I don't even know people who spend that on airfare, you know, flying halfway across the world.
3: That's a good point. Maybe
2: you do. If you do, write me, because I want (laughs) to travel with you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So then, what made the Titanic so special? Well, it's interesting because it was so incredibly lush, and you know the first class passengers, you know they were they were used to being treated nicely, but not as nicely as on this uh, as on this ship. I mean, they had such uh, they they had a squash court, I think, in, that you mentioned in the article, and uh, what
2: mm-hmm. else did they have? There's a gym. There were Turkish baths. Yeah, and,
3: that's true. And, and
2: these things were amenities that people had to pay a little bit extra for. But you bring up an important point about the first class and what they had access to, and. I'm sure that all of you know this, but there were three distinct classes on board the Titanic. First, second, and steerage. And so it's really important to sort of go ahead in your mind as you're picturing the Titanic and I think the nine different deck levels of it, Mm -hmm. that it was very stratified. There were places that first class were permitted to go. I mean, they could go anywhere they wanted, really, because they paid that much, but they weren't going to wander down to steerage cabins. (laughs) But then the third class was pretty much restricted to the bottom of the boat, second class sort of in the middle... And this was such a gigantic ship that it required some really special engineering to make it go. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm no engineer. I'm not going to profess to know everything about horsepower, et cetera, et cetera. But I do know that it had two giant engines that were about four stories tall. And these two three-blade propellers that were, like, 23 feet across – And so that's big. (laughs) And it enabled the ship to go about 24 knots, and
3: that may sound slow to us today, but back then it was really fast. That's true, and that put it in the running against the Cunard Line, which is the ships that they wanted to compete against. And it was faster than them, but it sort of broke down in the process. But we'll get (laughs) to that in a minute. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned with the class distinctions. You know, that might strike our modern sensibilities as as classism, which, yeah, it is. But uh, it's interesting to notice that... um, The third class were even treated maybe even better than other ships um, of the time because they had their own enclosed rooms, and that was kind of a luxury in itself. It was. A lot of them didn't even have
2: that where they were coming from. and. The White Star Line, which was the manufacturer of these three ships, knew that many of the the steerage members were European immigrants who were going to New York to start a new life. And they really sort of approached this with a delicate sensibility, and they wanted to make this a very special and memorable passage for them. And to that end... The quarters they had aboard the Titanic were so much nicer than anything they would have seen in any other ship. For instance, there were real mattresses, whereas on other ships, steerage would have had straw-filled sacks to sleep on. Now, that's not to say that it compared with the private and semi-private baths of the upper-class decks, but I think that there was sort of a a continuous design and feeling that pervaded the entirety of the ship. But it wasn't just
3: the third class. It had top-of-the-line. It was everyone That's true. If you look at the China and and everything, like, they had this... The whole ship had this sort of airy design to it with palm trees. Everything was lush. And, you know, they wanted to promote this this luxurious atmosphere so much that if you look at, like, the decks, they didn't want to clutter them up too much with even safety equipment, for instance. Fatal mistake.
2: Yes. So we have these wide-open swaths of gleaming wood decks, and Thomas Andrews, who was the ship's designer... He designed this ship
3: to be unsinkable. And it's interesting, too. I mean, you look at both the engineers and and the passengers aboard were pretty confident. Um, Just the sheer size of the Titanic, it was so gigantic that they felt really comfortable there that, you know, it was a safe ride.
2: Sort of like when you're in a Volvo station wagon. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing.
3: (laughs) Nothing can harm you.
2: It's just so large. (laughs) That's true. And it wasn't just the size of the ship that made people think it was unsinkable. The ship's designer, Thomas Andrews, designed watertight doors to drop down between each of the 16 compartments and the bottom of the ship. The idea being that if something happened to the ship, up to three of those compartments could flood and the ship wouldn't sink. And even in a stretch... Four could take on some water, and the ship would still stay afloat. And that
3: would make me feel pretty secure. I mean, and we go back to the idea that they didn't have a lot of safety equipment on the decks. And that leads me to my question, actually, that I have for you, is that, is it true, a lot of people say that if they did have enough lifeboats, they would have been able to save a lot more people from the sinking? That,
2: sadly, is fiction. Really? Yeah, and it's funny because that's a point that people really harp on and attach to is that there were not enough lifeboats to save everyone on the Titanic. I think people really latch on to this idea because we would like to think that history could be changed if there were more precautions. But the fact of the matter is there were so many things that went wrong with the Titanic even before it picked up passengers that I think it was doomed to sink from the start.
3: That's right, even if you look as far back as the construction of it. I mean, people say that um, the constructors used substantial iron even in, in the materials to use, to, make, to make the ship. And uh, and even the, the um, technology, the Marconi wireless telegraphy, it, it was seen as maybe too cutting edge because a lot of people out there on the boats, they didn't know how to use it necessarily or to, to decipher it. Right. So when the Titanic was sinking and it sent out its distress
2: calls, people couldn't interpret it. It was like speaking a, a totally different language. And there's some information out there about there not being enough rivets in the ship, or the rivets weren't tightened properly, and we know for a fact that it only underwent about six or seven hours worth of testing, and I think it turned once or twice, but it was never even sailed at its top speed. Mm -hmm. And what's more, a lot of the crew didn't get on board until an hour or so before the passengers did, and they weren't even told what their jobs were until after they got on the ship. So how can you be a
3: proper lookout for a ship when you haven't been trained in that post? That's true. It doesn't leave a lot of time for training. And also, if you look at the the design of the, the ship, even... Um I read that the rudder was actually kind of an old-fashioned design, and it was um, smaller than the, even the competition's rudders, and so this made it so the, the the ship itself was a little less maneuverable, and they couldn't shift out of an emergency situation as fast as they should have. So when you
2: have something that large, it's like if you're you're driving an RV, and all of a sudden you're, you're nearing a stop sign, you need to know ahead of time that you need to go ahead and start braking slowly. You can't just slam on the brakes and expect things to do okay. It's not like, you know, my itty-bitty Honda Civic where I have enough time <laughs> to do that. The Titanic was the same way. If they saw something in the water that they needed to avoid, an iceberg, they had to think (laughs) about it a couple miles ahead. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for turning. You still need, you know, a bigger radius to turn something that large. Yeah. And one of my favorite points about how ill-prepared the Titanic was for this voyage, and that's just smacks of conspiracy, is that J.P. Morgan was one of the big financial backers. And there's some recent evidence lately that he kept encouraging the shipbuilders to use cheaper and cheaper materials because he wanted as much bang for his buck as he could get. Scandalous. Scandalous. Well, here's where it gets even juicier. He was supposed to be on the maiden voyage and then just a couple of hours beforehand some uh, business came up and he didn't ride. It's a little suspicious. I know, (laughs) I know. But all that aside, back to the lifeboats in question. So I'm going to give you guys some numbers just so you can help visualize it. And I wanted to clarify, too, that there are so many numbers out there when it comes to the Titanic. Because Parliament conducted an inquiry since it set sail from England. But the U.S. Senate also conducted an inquiry. And that may sound kind of funny. And it kind of is. One of the senators, Senator William Smith, knew the captain of the Titanic, John Smith. And he'd sailed with him before and thought he's such a good captain. How could this have happened? And so the Senate got involved, too. Again, yes. kind of marking conspiratorial. So
3: did the different investigations come up with different res- different results? No, just yeah. about the same
2: thing. But the okay. numbers are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So we know that there were enough lifeboats to hold 1,176 passengers, and that's only if they were filled to capacity. So on board, again, numbers from the U.S. Senate, we know there were 2,208 people and 899 crew members. So even if you're doing the math that fast, you know that's not enough. You can't get all those people into boats. And the reason why they had so few lifeboats on board, 16, Mm -hmm. is that the Board of Trade was the governing body that set the rules for ocean liners at this time. And the number of requisite lifeboats for ships up to 10,000 tons was sixteen. Well, the Titanic was 45,000 tons, but no
3: one had bothered to sit down and do the math and say, we need this many more lifeboats to accommodate that difference. So the Board of Trade's regulation sort of went up to, it was sort of an old-fashioned maximum. They weren't sort of expecting something as big as the Titanic needing a regulation.
2: Exactly. And you hit on the point earlier, Jane, when you were talking about not wanting to clutter up the decks, I think that Titanic's... Builders and designers conveniently misinterpreted the guidelines. They could have filled in the number they needed, but they didn't because they wanted their their decks to look shiny and open and clean. But, okay, so you asked, Mm -hmm. could everyone have been saved if there had been enough
3: lifeboats? Yeah, did it matter?
2: No, not Hmm. really. Because when I was talking about how inefficient the crew was and how ill-prepared they were and how little testing the ship had undergone, I think they only practiced lowering... What two to four lifeboats? Is that right? I think yeah. I think
3: I remember hearing that stat. Yeah.
2: So they didn't have an accurate time estimation for how long it would take to get that many people overboard.
3: Mm-hmm. And if you uh, you look at the um, survivors talk about it, you'll notice that not even all of the lifeboats they weren't filled to capacity. Some of them, and that's pretty scandalous. Um, there was one survivor who wrote um, that. Passengers saw that these lifeboats would have to take a 50-foot drop, and that kind of scared them. And they thought, well, I'm going to stick on the unsinkable Titanic. You guys can go ahead. And this one survivor claims that he asked to be on this, this unfilled un, uh, lifeboat, and they said, uh, women and children first. See you later. And they lowered the boat. And uh, so this, it's uh, kind of testament to they didn't really know what they were doing when they were no. lowering
2: these boats. No one did. And there were two evacuations on either side of the ship. And one of the people conducting the investigation on one side said, women and children first. Mm-hmm. The guy on the other side was letting anyone who could get in, get in. But when we say anyone, we mean first class and then second class. Third class wasn't even told that the ship was sinking until well after the fact. And wow. it It was such a quiet disaster. When the ship scraped the iceberg, it happened so quickly Mm -hmm. and so quietly that no one really realized any damage had been done until Thomas Andrews inspected and said, yeah, it's certain it's going to sink. And it's sort of scary to think about the panic that must have ensued down in the steerage decks because... Even if people saw water filling up their cabins, like we said, they weren't allowed just free roam over the ship like the other class passengers were. Can you imagine them just getting lost in the bottom
3: as you know? Yeah, I imagine there'd be riots and, and you know, fights all over the place. It was
2: crazy. Yeah. It was
3: I mean, it was essentially a struggle to survive. Mm-hmm. And
2: later on when White Star Line sent out rescue craft to search for the bodies or any survivors. They got really confused because they saw so many corpses wearing garments of first-class passengers, but essentially crew and and steerage had raided the cabins and put on whatever they could to stay warm.
3: It's terrible. It sounds like uh, they went through a lot of havoc and, and panic those they last did. few
2: moments. Yeah. yeah, I can't even imagine how scary it was. And the recovery efforts were disastrous, too. I mean, when the news broke that the Titanic had sunk, the world was stunned. I mean, this was the unsinkable ship. And I think it
3: took nearly a week to even compile a list of all the survivors and all the deceased. Sure, and it it sort of captures the imagination even to today. I mean, people are obsessed with knowing what actually happened. You know, um, people, they have deferring historical accounts, who's to blame, and, and it's, it's a pretty intense debate all around the board, and people are obsessed with the story of the, titan- the Titanic.
2: Yeah, and that's because there were so many passengers on board, and everyone had a different story, and everyone had yeah. a different eyewitness account. There were people who said that the ship broke in half before mm-hmm. it sank. Mm-hmm. There are people who didn't report that, and later on, I think people called it a litigation nightmare because... Like we said, Parliament and the Senate conducted investigations, but any lawsuits that were brought on the White Star Line were brought on by families of the individual passengers for either people lost or property lost.
3: And how, I mean, how could you even prove anything with all the different testimonies? That's right. And one, uh, one scandal that people disagree on uh, is about the chairman and managing director of the 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 star the White Star. Is that it? The White Star Line. Yeah, yeah. the White Star Line. His name is Bruce Ismay, as you said, and. he actually jumped on one of these not-quite-filled lifeboats. And um, people say, oh, what a coward. Like, he took someone else's space, when really, like, it it would not have been taken by by another person. At least some organizations, like the Titanic Historical Society, tried to defend him and say, like, he had a wife and kids, and no one else was around, and he just took his opportunity to save his life. And otherwise, he just would have been, you know, sunk with the ship. And it was sad, because after he... He survived, and after he got to America, he was sort of ridiculed by, uh, like, William Randolph Hearst and his newspapers, and and England sort of, uh, they accepted him, but America, he got maligned. I'm sure he did, and if you look at the other two,
2: arguably other important figures on board, someone like Thomas Andrews, the ship's designer, and Mm -hmm. then the captain of the ship, Captain Smith, they both sort of quietly waited on board and went down with the ship. And Thomas Andrews in particular. I mean, even if you think about James Cameron's Titanic, that really poignant scene where he says, I wish I could have built you a better ship, Miss Rose. (laughs) That really is sort of how it happened. Not with Mm -hmm. Rose necessarily, but (laughs) he didn't put on a life vest. And he sat in one of the first class lounges Mm -hmm. and just quietly waited. And it's just so eerie. Even today, if you go and you look at pictures of artifacts that have been um, like photographed, underneath the surface of the water or artifacts that have been brought up. Like, one of the most haunting things I saw, um, there's a traveling Titanic exhibit called Titanic Aquatic, and you can see all these things that RMS Titanic has recovered, that particular society. And they have sole ownership over the shipwreck. And one of them, it's just... um, it was a china hutch that went down and it was made of wood mm-hmm. and it had these porcelain au dishes in it. And over time, the wood from the china cabinet it disintegrated, but the O'Gratten dishes were left perfectly stacked in neat little rows, and that's how they are right now in the
3: display. They're stacked in neat little rows, and it's so creepy. That is fascinating, because, like, the rest of, of the Titanic, you just see, like, even the exterior of the ship underwater, it's, it's really creepy to see because of what what the pressure and the water has done to it, um, but to see something that has survived that, is, is, that's really weird. It is, yeah. and I know what you're talking about. Like, if you see
2: pictures of it, and you see this mm-hmm. sort of, like, weird sea weed things sort of waving in the water off the ship's rails. Um, Archaeologists have a word for them. They're called rusticles because essentially all these little tiny microbes underwater are just feasting on the ship. And they suspect that in another, I think, like 50 to 90 years time, the ship's just going to collapse and implode in on itself and it's going to be over. So there's a lot of argument right
3: now about whether or not we should actually raise what's left of the hull. That's that's really interesting because I mean, as someone who's fascinated with the story, I of course like I want to be in support of like bring it up because I don't want to see such an interesting artifact of history destroyed just by you know nature.
2: And I think I'm going to take issue and be on the other side. Really? And not even just to play devil's advocate. I Mm -hmm. I really feel that that's where it belongs because even in the recovery efforts of of those bodies, not all of them were brought up. And a lot of the steerage and crew members that were recovered, their bodies were actually tied to iron rods and thrown beneath the water. So they were, in essence, buried at sea. And so Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that's where the ship belongs too. It's a good argument. It's homage
3: to them. Yeah. That's true.
1: So it's always interesting to revisit a past topic, especially when it's one that we still get requests for all the time. we really have.
0: I mean, I think since the beginning of this year, we've been hearing, what are you going to do for the 100th anniversary? You guys should do a Titanic episode. And uh, we've always
1: said, well, we've got one in our archives. But there is some new information to this story. It's worth an update. Yeah, there is some recent news to this. And I feel like we're always bringing that up when we do these update podcasts. But we did mention the news in the intro to this podcast, and so we should deliver on it now. It was very conveniently timed to the anniversary, and it involves newly released photos that were taken in 2004 during an expedition by Titanic wreck discoverer Robert Ballard. They were originally featured in Ballard's book about the expedition, but they were cropped at the time when they were shown there. So this was the first time that the uncropped versions of the photos were released, and they show a coat and boots lying next to each other on the ocean floor at the shipwreck site. It's actually kind of poignant
0: Yeah. And James DeGaldo, who is the director of maritime heritage at the National Oceanic and Atmosphere Administration, NOAA, told the Daily Mail, quote, these are not shoes that fell out neatly from somebody's bag right next to each other. And he went on to say that the way these items are laid out, you know, the coat and the shoes right next to each other, makes a, quote, compelling case that it is where quote, someone has come to rest. Uh, so yeah, you probably saw a lot of headlines about that recently. And Delgado was the chief scientist on a 2010 expedition that mapped the entire wreck site. And he believes that these items do point to the probable presence of human remains buried under the sediment in that spot. And uh, so there could continue to uh, be new research and this could continue to add insight to the stories of the people who were lost aboard the wreck.
1: He also said that this find uh, or this, you know, this photo, it really points to the need to preserve the wreck site, which has been hard to do since it's in international waters, Uh, although the site did come under UNESCO protection this year. So that's good news. We also have some other random Titanic news of a more romantic nature than human remains, if if that strikes your fancy a little better. It's also interesting, uh, especially for those who are fans of James Cameron's Titanic movie, in April, Discovery News published an article about the real Titanic love story, which discusses the life of an Italian immigrant named Emilio Portalupi, who might have provided part of the inspiration for the character of Jack Dawson in Cameron's movie.
0: And incidentally, there is a grave for an actual Jay Dawson, which people have speculated about. I mean, you can imagine. But Portalupi's story is apparently quite similar to the story of Dawson's character in the movie, and particularly in the love department. So, Portolupi, who was said to be a well-respected stonemason who had immigrated to America in 1903, was on his way back from a visit back home to Italy when he ended up totally by chance, on the Titanic. He was originally supposed to have been on another ship, the Oceanic 2. How he got on the Titanic is sort of the crux of the matter. He was invited aboard the ship by the Astors, a famous wealthy American couple. Um, John Astor IV was a millionaire from one of America's wealthiest families. And the couple apparently wanted wanted Lupe to work for them, wanted him to uh, use his stonemasonry skills at their villa in Newport,
1: Rhode Island. Yeah, they were on their way back from vacation in Egypt, I guess, and they were kind of like, hey, hop on, come was with their, us. It was their honeymoon, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And he traveled first class as the couple's guest and was invited to dinner with other first class passengers the night the iceberg hit the ship. And he went to bed that night and woke up when the ship hit the iceberg thinking that they'd reach New York. So, some other details that might kind of fall in line with what you know from the movie. But Porta had or developed a crush on Astor's young, beautiful wife, Madeline Talmadge Astor, but no one really knows the full extent of their relationship. We know about the crush, though, because unlike the movie character he said to have inspired, Porta Lupe survived the Titanic sinking and lived to the ripe old age of 73. He died in 1974. And no one really knows for sure how he survived, though, because he gave different versions of his story. <laughs> he
0: sure did. In, in one, he put on a life belt and jumped 50 feet into the water where he swam to a cake of ice and managed to
1: stay afloat there until he was eventually rescued by a life. Lifeboat. In another, he fell in the water trying to board a lifeboat and swam for two hours before he was rescued by Lifeboat 14, which was the boat that Lady Astor was on and I think one of the last lifeboats to get away. This is probably unlikely, though. A lot of people think it's unlikely just because it, it seems impossible that he would have survived Dang for so the long. water for
0: two hours. Yeah,
1: icy, icy cold water. Uh some believe, however, that he may have escaped by disguising himself as a woman because of the women and children edict, the women and children first edict that uh Candace and Jane discuss a little bit. He was first listed as Mrs. Portalupi when the names of the rescued were transmitted initially. So this is I mean maybe, maybe I can see why people think this.
0: Whatever happened with Portalupi though, Lady Astor's husband did not survive, but uh she and Portalupi never got together after the wreck. I mean, I mean, that's understandable, I think, a pretty traumatic experience. She did remarry, and he may have married as well, even though he was already married at the time.
1: Yeah, he was already married before the, the Titanic trip. Lots of stories... Like this on fates of survivors, um, including the iceberg. Some I saw an interesting news story this year also about what people thought happened to the iceberg and kind of the background behind oh, it. Oh, and
0: whether there are little pieces of it left and
1: right, or that <laughs> it probably didn't survive past 1913 because the waters around it and the Atlantic were too uh, warm. So always plenty of things to investigate here about the Titanic sinking and always uh, new things that are coming out about it. As we said, I think there's even a a Titanic 2, a new Titanic ship that's being built or or at least a project that's been conceived of.
0: A reproduction.
1: Yeah, so there might be a better, newer, safer version of the Titanic that comes out by 2016, I think. Would it be marketed for cruising? I I think it is going to be a passenger ship. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll Don't quote me on that, but
0: <laughs> we'll certainly um, be looking for more stories about that.
1: Yeah, if you have any favorite Titanic developments or discoveries that weren't discussed in the Classic Podcast and weren't discussed today, feel free to write to us. We're at HistoryPodcast at Discovery.com, and you can look us up on Facebook, and we're on Twitter at Missed in History. And we also have a Titanic article, don't we? We do, written by Candace Keener herself, and you can find that by visiting our homepage at www.HowStuffWorks.com.